This is Fair and Square, a podcast from Hudson Sandler. Hello and welcome to the Fair and Square podcast from Hudson Sandler. I'm Alex Brennan, a partner with Hudson Sandler specialising in the consumer industries. This is my debut in the host chair and today we are recording during the second national lockdown by the magic of Zoom. But despite not being in the same room, we do have a fantastic set of guests who I know will have some brilliant insights on this episode's subject, how we can save Britain's pubs and restaurants. 2020 has been a year like no other with the pandemic wreaking a terrible human cost and devastating swathes of the global economy. Nowhere has this economic hardship been felt more keenly than in the hospitality industry. So what can be done to salvage the situation? With me to discuss that are David Page, one of the restaurant industry's most experienced operators and chairman of the Fulham Shore, which owns and operates the Real Greek and Frankamanka restaurant businesses. Tom Kerridge, who really doesn't need much introduction, but is best known for his Michelin-starred dining pubs, best-selling cookbooks and TV shows, including his recent BBC miniseries entitled Saving Britain's Pubs. Andrew Fishwick used to produce award-winning West End and Broadway shows before setting up the Pepper Collective, which brings together talent to create fresh approaches to hospitality. And I'm also pleased to welcome Sabal Meddings, senior business reporter with the Sunday Times who writes on the leisure and hospitality sector. Welcome to you all. I'd like to start by asking each of you to briefly tell me about the moment you realised that the pandemic was going to change everything for the pub and restaurant industries. I know this is something, Tom, that you covered in your in your recent series. So, so I'll start with you. I mean, that's such a massive question. And, and it's also variant on parts of the country. I mean, if you just talk about, for example, the point in between lockdown one and lockdown two, that middle bit, that summer bit, parts of the country were absolutely heaving. Cornwall and Devon, for example, have been the busiest it's ever been. But it's it's the city centres and, and many other small rural places that have been really, really struggling. And it's, it's not the point of when it's open, it's, it's now the, the closing bits, the, 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 um, the actual financial costs from this year, the actual fallout. We won't, be, we won't be able to know much more about it until well into 2021, where the realities of those figures start happening, when the furlough scheme ends, when the numbers really start having to hit home in terms of can pubs and restaurants and hotels actually afford to reopen. The losses this year have been absolutely catastrophic. Yeah. David, do you, would you like to add to that? Uh, we have a couple of restaurants, one in Dulwich Village and one in South Kent, and uh, they ex- serve exactly the same menu. And um, during the first lockdown, one was 80% down because it relied on um, tourists, the French Lycée, and the people who live in South Kensington. Well, you know, come lockdown, all the people in South Kensington went to Cornwall or, or Wiltshire or, or wherever. And then we've got um, a place in Dulwich Village where there is some sort of a community, albeit rather rich, and it, it was heaving. It was absolutely heaving. Um, exactly the same menus, same offer, and they usually traded at about the same level. Reiterating Tom's comments about the disparity uh, during during lockdown, um, we had restaurants in the theatre land that were once again 70% down, uh, whereas Bournemouth was two and a half, three times as busy as it was normally. I mean, just complete madness. And you can't really plan for that. People in the city go, at the end of the presentation, this is, they usually say, oh, what are the really things that can really damage your business? And I go, well, economic meltdown uh, in the 
national territory where you are and the health scare <laughs> and we've got both <laughs> i'm quite close to france and they have um not the french government have not only paid all the wages or sorry 90 percent of the wages but they've recently gone and you can have 20 percent of turnover for the rest uh, Sabo, is that something you've heard from lots of um, operators in the industry about the government support? I mean, clearly things like Eat Out to Help Out were very well received, but is there a sense that that, that, that more could be done from, from bodies to support the restaurant industry at the moment? I think that's sort of been the theme since the very beginning. I mean, in the early days of March, when Boris Johnson said stay at home, but he didn't order pubs to close. And I personally heard from restaurant owners that said they lost hundreds of thousands of pounds that week. So that's sort of the first thing. And then just, you know, the, the lack of communication about when we were going to reopen, when we were going to close, the lack of time for planning. And then when support has come, even with the extension of the furlough scheme, I mean, it was kind of quite interesting at the start of the pandemic. People were asking for more help. They were kind of being quite measured and sort of, you know, really worried about their businesses. But the kind of the conversations I was having, I was having people were sort of complimentary of the support when it arrived and, you know, generally, um, you know, frightened, but not furious. But certainly in the last month or two, that's really changed. And last week for example i mean the conversations i was having with pub bosses you know people were willing to speak on the record about things they would have only previously said you know don't quote me on this but but you know finally people really seem to sort of breaking through and wanted to go public with how angry they were but certainly now people are angry and it hasn't stopped now people are angry about the um, sort of quiet removal of the job retention bonus which was meant to give thousand pounds for every employee that had been kept on um, throughout the pandemic from January and I spoke to bosses last week who said well I've already spent half the money. Andrew I mean you, you're sort of working with typically smaller restaurant entrepreneurs and businesses who who must be feeling that strain particularly and I know for example you're in the rare position that you're actually opening a restaurant after lockdown uh, in London how are you approaching that and I mean do you feel that there are options open for restaurant entrepreneurs now? The economy abhors a vacuum. We all like to know what's coming and we like to be able to plan for it. So this up and down and closed or open thing is, is, is actually the worst of all worlds. You know, the French version, which again, David referred to, of we're going to be closed till then. Here's what we're going to do to sort you out. Here's the package. We can plan that. That's fine. It's not ideal. None of this is ideal. None of us, none of us wanted a global pandemic, but that gives people the ability to plan. I mean, someone's absolutely right. You know, we're hearing today that there might be something announced by Rishi this week to help hospitality businesses. I, I can't plan for that because I've no idea what it is. I mean, yeah, we are we are opening a brand new site on Thursday. That's a great idea. <laughs> uh, uh, a 3,000 square foot, 80 cover restaurant in Ealing, which is going to be grand. But, you know, points last week, I had chefs saying, when do I press go on the food orders? Well, when the tier system's announced, you know, so we press go at about 10 o'clock on Thursday on the fresh food orders for that place, because until then we weren't 100% sure what we were going to be looking at. So it's very, very, very difficult. We've all sort of highlighted some of the challenges that have been presented by the extreme trading conditions uh, caused by the pandemic. But was it a case, Tom, and I refer to your to your series where you were sort of going into community pubs, at the end of last year, which were facing major structural challenges. Is it the case that the pandemic's just kind of accelerated the challenges faced by pubs and restaurants? Or is this a whole new environment that people have got to combat? No, it's, it's an acceleration. It, it is a, the, the one, the amazing thing about hospitality is we will get back to being where we want to be. Our problem that we've got is the fact that 
um, the, the way that the pandemic is probably going to be the thing that kills off many, many businesses. It is the thing that it's, it's, it is it, it, the problems that pubs face are always going to be those problems unless those pubs change and face up to those challenges that aren't just about coronavirus. You know, there were pubs and businesses, pubs in particular regarding the series, you know, that are facing many different challenges that are being for, coming from cheaper alcohol from supermarkets through to people's drinking habits massively changing. You know, there's archaic beer ties that are there with breweries and, uh, and pub companies that really do affect people's businesses, increasing tax, increases in minimum wage. All of these are sort of pressures that go on to small businesses and pubs in particular. So these are all challenges that businesses and pubs in particular face across the board that need to be addressed. And those will be there with or without coronavirus and for example a vaccine comes in by next summer it's all gone everybody's got on with it by you know by this time next year like everyone's been vaccinated it's no problem those problems that pubs are facing now will still be the same next year unless we're there addressed they are they are an additional issue they are and they are huge the fact that coronavirus has come along is probably going to kill off many pubs by the time you can even get to the point where they can address those issues you know Andrew, did you have something to add on? I think that's really interesting. I think what's also happened in terms of Tom's acceleration of things is that that's had both a positive and a negative effect. We've seen people's small, small niggling issues become much, much larger. But we've also seen innovation come much quicker down the line in terms of, I mean, some of the stuff that I was running around the city talking about last year when we were when we were talking to people initially about the Pepper Collective was, you know, how tech can be more integrated in hospitality, uh, more grown up deals with landlords, which again goes back to, you know, the archaic pub tie thing that that Tom was talking about in pubs. But it also happens in in the in the restaurant sector as well. And we were looking at all of these things thinking, well, maybe in three to four years time, we might be able to fix some of these. And now I think we've seen that acceleration of that change and that innovation pushed for by the hospitality sector come much, much quicker than we'd ever imagined. The, the points of rent and the points of those businesses being able to operate, I only think now that people are beginning to listen. When small individual, individual landlords are going, we need some help. Um, pub companies, we need help. The rents are wrong. This is wrong. It's all out of kilter. You know, the, the initial pub company tie in the first place is built there as... Um, you're supposedly to get much cheaper rent um, for a higher inflated price in beer. Um, but now, you know, it massively seems that those rental prices have gone up and up and up and up and up. And rents quite often are in line with standard leasehold rents. So now all of a sudden, the bigger pub companies are beginning to worry that, you know, that normally before there's a queue of people wanting to throw a load of money at pub because it's their dream to think, you know, I'd love to own a pub. Let's take on this space. Now, I mean, there is nobody out there, apart from Andrew who's opening on Thursday, going, do you know what? This is a good idea. Let's open a restaurant. Let's open a pub. Let's go and do it. Right now, there is nobody who thinks it's a good idea. Operators that own it think this is a daft idea. What on earth have I been doing for the last 30 years? Why am I in this business? Why am I not in something else? <laughs> so, you know, all of a sudden, we're at a point now where um, cor big corporate businesses, huge billion pound companies that are property investment companies are now very worried about their investment because these pubs will not be able to operate. So before, when it was a small individual landlord just going, I hello, I need some help. 
No one paid attention. No one's listening. No one's. No one cares. Okay. Now there's huge finance companies behind it that actually affects parliament, affects government, affects friends of friends in government. All of a sudden now, because it starts hitting fiscal areas um, and political spaces, that now there is an interest. It's still not going to solve it. I still think, as an industry, we're going to be. Uh, we're going to come up short. I do think we're going to be the sacrificial lambs across the whole thing of this. But it was broke before now. It was broke way before coronavirus. You know, Tom's absolutely right on the Tide pub thing, a world I know really well. Like, that was a broken model beforehand. The the premium rents in, in city centres was a broken model. No one can operate at those things. People come and go. What I'd like to just touch upon is, obviously, we're, we're, we're recording this just a couple of days away from, from coming out of national lockdown and the tier system. And that is obviously going to impact restaurants and pubs through through the most important month of the year. David, I know that most of your restaurants will be in, in tier two, but I know you have some in, in tier three categories. How are you going to approach managing these restrictions? Um, well, we're expecting our restaurants this coming weekend to be very busy. You know, this is what happened before when people had the chance to come out in their groups of six or less, uh, they did come out. Um, now, I know I'm going to be accused of outdoing Andrew here, but we are opening three restaurants uh, this week. Show off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I'll explain why I just sort of put my marker in the sand there, in the how much they're costing us and what rent deals we're getting. One is costing us a net 75 grand. One is costing us nothing. And the other one's costing us 200 grand. So we're opening three restaurants for under 300 grand. Um, um, a year ago, those three restaurants would have cost us 1.8 million uh, because we're effectively, I'm afraid, taking advantage of other of CBAs and, um, and administrations. And, you know, people go, well, that's a bit unfair. <laughs> the restaurant's bloody empty. You know, we're, we're creating jobs and we're providing a future for, you know, 20 people in each place. Tom, if you rewind to when you were beginning your career and taking the move from being a chef to, 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 to opening your first restaurant. Do you think that this is going to create a lot of opportunities for restaurant entrepreneurs? Do you know, is this a, is this a great time to go into to, to opening a restaurant if you can get some of these deals out there? Or is it is this something that given your time again, you wouldn't do now? maybe now is a good time to be doing it because there are going to be those opportunities for cheaper rents, better opportunities, um, different negotiated models to, to pay rent and lease. But the issue isn't really then um, breathing life back into that building. It's, it, it's getting the, 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 the movement, the guests back through the door, depending on where you are. I mean, if you're operating, if you're looking at operating now within the tiered system, it's going to be very difficult to get, uh, opening and create a new restaurant vibe. I think you, we need to be out the other side, I think, before you're going to open a brand new business. But I think, yeah, this does create an opportunity and a chance for young entrepreneurial chefs and restaurateurs to be able to have a go at grabbing something that is perhaps um, uh, uh, in terms of rental, um, much more weighted towards them. You know, it's now becoming a buyer's market. You know, you're now able to get in there and try and find the space that you want. The unfortunate side of it is that 
for every person that's looking at opening a restaurant, I'm sure there's a hundred that are closing. So yeah, congratulations if you're in the position to open it. However, I do feel more sorry for the for the many, many people that are closing and job losses that are happening all around. For me, it's much more of a negative position than it is positive. Do you think, uh, and we'll, I'll, I'll ask Saba first, do you think that there's a case that, that those pubs and restaurant businesses that do survive this will come out in a stronger position because they've invaded, because they've perhaps been forced to try some th- new things that will appeal to the consumer going forward? One example of how perhaps using, say, for example, you only have an evening trade and you've kind of got um, you're a bit quieter in the daytime. I was walking around Borough Market the other day and um, all the restaurants that would probably be sort of busier in the evening, not so much in the daytime, you know, opened up their front windows. They've got uh, warm ch- hot chicken buns outside. Everyone's doing takeaway. It's quite vibrant. They've obviously all really switched it around really quickly. And I think that was quite different with this lockdown. People switched really quickly to doing um, takeaway and more delivery. And I think perhaps that will will stay. People will kind of look to make sure they've got sort of a full day or evening of trade. There's some quite interesting innovations. There's a business called K-Box, which is a um, sort of dark kitchen business because it, it uses kitchens from um, kind of hotels and, and some restaurants to kind of at their quiet times to um, launch virtual brands. And you might see more of that kind of sharing of space. And there's obviously been um, some really interesting dark kitchen businesses set up. But I think probably given that people are ordering at home so much, there's probably opportunities to kind of um, find ways to take advantage of that, even if your particular offer doesn't sort of deliver very well. I think that segues nicely into the next question, which is we've obviously seen a number of consumer behaviour changes take place during 2020 with people entertaining at home, working at home more. Do you think these will become more permanent behavioural shifts? And um, Andrew, as someone looking to invest in hospitality businesses, are you looking for businesses that play to those kind of changes in consumer behaviour? Yeah, I think um, we were always looking at what these next behavioural shifts were prior to prior to this pandemic. And I think things like um, the wellness trend is something we're, we're quite heavily into with Pillar, which is our sort of wellness brand, and the healthy eating across any of our businesses being a factor we consider. It might not always be front and centre, but it is something we always consider. And I think, I think again, what we've seen is that this this recent crisis has accelerated many of these trends. It hasn't necessarily invented very many, but the one trend that Sabah was saying that I think um, that we were talking about last year, and it is something we try and hard bake into any of the businesses we're involved with, is to look at what this, I mean, omni-channel is such a sort of corporate word, but these omni-channel revenue streams, how can we be both the physical and the digital? How can we be both the bricks and mortar and the delivery? How can we integrate much more into people's lives? I think I think across businesses for where that's suitable, that's something, those consumer shifts are something we were seeing anyway. So it is it has become front and center and fundamental to what we believe is vital for a, a business to have longevity and sustainability. David, I mean, operating a, a larger restaurant business with with more outlets. I mean, are you does that does that sort of the trend towards home delivery towards towards kind of people spending perhaps not traveling in cities to work? Does that change your mindset for growth at all or look at what opportunities you're looking at? Or do you think that people will be coming back to city centers and people will be heading back out for lunch just as much as they were before the pandemic? Uh, no, to the last point. Um I think there's been a seismic shift and people have realised they can actually do what we're doing now. Um, 
And as far as uh, delivery and takeout, obviously, we set our restaurants up, as I think Tom pointed out earlier, restaurants and pubs are about, obviously a bit younger than me, seeing somebody across a crowded room and waving, <laughs> and whether they be friend or maybe hopefully friend in the future. And you can't do that sitting at home on your Xbox. You can, you can be digital as much as you like or delivery as much as you like. I want to go into the hands of flowers to sit at that table and feel that cutlery and be in that room with people I love across a fine bottle of wine. Going on from that, I've always hated delivery. I've always hated takeout because I wanted to drive people into the restaurants because that's what I thought restaurants were about. And then about two years ago, I realised I'd lost the battle. This idea that people want to stay at home and sort of have delivery, I think, has um, some, cast some doubt on that. Tom, I'd be interested to know how busy you are next Saturday evening, because I certainly know trying to get a reservation for as soon as things open, it's, it's really busy, you know, even trying to get a business lunch reservation, there are very few around. So I think it kind of shows that even though, um, you know, people have been kept at home, they do want to get out and they do want to see their whether it's friends outside if you're in tier two or go out with a housemate or partner. I, I think the idea of people going out, you're right, I think for ne next Saturday, um, the, the Carriages Bar and Grill in the centre of London is actually very, very busy. We've got lots of bookings, the Hand of Flowers is full. It is, it is busy. We've got people going out and I think people want that social interaction. They want it um, in terms of going into restaurants. But actually, I think the workforce, the working from home, I do think people have had enough of Zoom calls. I do think people have had enough of, there is only so much um, in terms of productivity levels that you can get, which is fine for all business on conversation. Is that you could probably get more meetings in on a Zoom day than you could face to face. The businesses that survive in the future, the ones that I think that will come out of this the fastest are the ones where people actually get on a plane and go and visit counterparts around the world, you know, get on a train, go into business meetings, go and sit with people, go and have lunches in lovely restaurants. I think those are the businesses that would do well. And for that point of view, hospitality will come out the other side in a much stronger position. But whether it's us that's owning it, we'll have to wait and see if we can make it there. <laughs> Certainly make being a journalist easier if everyone got out and met everyone because then they'd have some gossip to share. But just on that topic of kind of Zoom fatigue, I think we're nearly... At the end, I would just like to ask everyone one final question. What will be the kind of lasting legacies of the pandemic on the sector? And as we enter 2021, is your pint glass half full or half empty when it comes to the restaurant industry? Uh, Tom, I'll start with you there. We're going to say going to save a hell of a lot of paper. So the, the QR code for menus being on your phone is something that we're definitely going to stay within our company. Um, and... 2021 uh it's it's got half in it i'm not quite sure if it's full or empty i like I like it's not because we will come through the other side of coronavirus but then we've got to get through brexit well we haven't even mentioned the brexit word until then and maybe that's a whole other episode but andrew is your glass half full or empty going into oh, well, it, it has to be bloody half full because i'm opening those restaurants so you know uh, i've got no choice really uh, no it is half full i think for me, the thing that's here to stay and the thing that is exciting and does make it half full is just a complete reimagining of that landlord-tenant relationship uh, in terms of how that works. It becomes much more of a partnership. And if it does, then I think the barrier to entry becomes much smaller. The innovation becomes much bigger and the chance to really shake this all up becomes much more exciting. And Sabra? Um, lasting legacy, I guess, 
perhaps just the all the amazing food that you can now get on delivery that you couldn't get before that would be nice if that could stay you could have a bit of a mix um is my glass half full or empty i think i'm a bit like tom i don't really know certainly the media industry has been affected and we don't know what's going to happen with brexit and you know it's all great it's great news of the vaccines but no one has actually received an approved jab yet so I think we'll just have to wait and see who, who was it that said John Bell said just hope you don't screw up the rollout so fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And David are you going to give us a cause for optimism as we finish this? I'm old enough to remember 89 to 93 um, and uh, it, we were all like chicken little we thought the wall the whole uh, sky had fallen on our heads and then we came out of the ERM the end of it 92 and there was a glorious six or seven years I think this is much worse, this situation. You know, it's like a drowning, drowning person. Uh, you, you bounce back up the first time. Better try and stay up. On that note, I'm going to bring this episode of Fair and Square to a close. Before I do, I should mention that we have 25 copies of Tom's brilliant new book, The Hand and Flowers Cookbook, to give away to the first people who share this podcast via LinkedIn. So for all you budding chefs, get them while they're hot. Thanks very much to our guests, Andrew Fishwick, Sabah Meddings, David Page and Tom Kerridge. To get more details in this podcast and how to get a copy of Tom's book, please go to our website and follow us on Twitter at Hudson Sandler. But from me, Alex Brennan, goodbye for now. To find out more about Hudson Sandler, our team, our culture and our thinking, visit our website, hudsonsandler.com. Hudson Sandler.